a phrase in the reading that might call your attention to again. And that was the last phrase of the ver- last verse which was read in your hearing. Speak for thy servant heareth. And it is perhaps around this theme that I will try to construct the thought which I will bring to you this night. Without a doubt, we're living in the time of the end that the prophets wrote about centuries ago. Many things are transpiring in the arena of world politics that cause us to take notice. And so many things are happening in the affairs of the nations that our minds are being constantly bombarded by new ideas relating to those prophetic words. We have arrived, so to speak, at that time in man's history when some change is inevitable. Resources upon which man has become dependent are, become, are beginning to show signs of exhaustion. On the other hand, man's need for these resources is constantly increasing. So we are presented with a grave problem. This truth in itself is evidence enough that some change in the life pattern must come about. Life as we know it cannot continue to be sustained at its present rate of growth without serious consequences for more than another decade, so tell we are told by the experts that have, through by the use of computers, come up with an answer. Not only do we see a growing need for various resources and a constant decline of them, we also see the effects of our society in our environment, the pollutants that are being spewed into our atmosphere each day are causing grave concern and our economists and planners are extremely concerned about these things which they see coming upon the earth. And they are spending billions just to hold 
the present rate of contaminants in the atmosphere. So, whichever way the pendulum swings, something must give. Now these, brethren and sisters, are facts. They are not dreamed up by some alarmist. They stand out in bold print. And as we survey them, we, of course, are somewhat concerned as any thinking individual should be. But they do not cause the alarm among us as they do among the world around us. And this should comfort us because we have something to sustain us in these days of trouble that the world does not have. So looking at it from this standpoint, what is our relationship to this force that sustains us? How does our life reflect this confidence in our faith? To what extent could we say that this is being manifest to those around us? We are then confronted with a very serious fact of life. For our faith to be sustained in these days in which we live, it must stand upon a firm foundation. And this firm foundation must, in a sense, rest in the hands of our younger brethren. And it's to these younger ones in the truth that our remarks are directed this night. The group here at the Bible School is made up <coughs> of individuals from many parts of the country. They represent ecclesias from a wide area of the Brotherhood. And this week here, we have received from our collective studies a further strengthening of our faith 
And we would hope that our collective studies and the lending of our minds to the things that we have heard have been in themselves a desirable experience. An experience that will, in the days ahead, reflect in our lives. One of the things that I have witnessed during the Bible school here and I'm very thankful for is the quality of the exhortations that have been presented by these young brethren. While it is quite true that their presentation may not have won a prize in rhetoric, the fact remains that what they have presented has been based upon sound fundamentals. And like the goal that needs refining, so can the quality of presentation be improved. And those qualities of presentation of the truth are not learned in a Dale Carnegie course. They can teach us how to construct and project our thoughts. but they cannot supply the thought. Spiritual ideas can only be projected from a spiritually motivated mind. So consequently, the courses in public speaking that are available to us in the schools of learning around us cannot fill our heart with those spiritual ideas that is incumbent upon us to present to the brotherhood. Spiritual thoughts and how to project them, are learned within the realm of our own desire to improve. And one of the best stimulants for this improvement within is to recognize our responsibilities. To incorporate into our very being a sense of values that will automatically motivate us toward our goal. There is a vast difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. 
This idea is reinforced by the words of the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Corinthian brethren with this message. In his first letter to Corinth, he gives us these words. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Sometimes we have a tendency to minimize the scriptural source of power that we have. And there is a cardinal rule in public speaking that says we stumble in speech because we falter in thought. And the greatest example of self-education that this world has ever known was the master himself. There is no record of his having attended the schools of higher learning in his day. And we turn to the Gospel of Luke. And here we learn the secret of his success. For in the second chapter, beginning with the 40th verse, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents, went to Jerusalem each year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. But they, supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. 
And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorry. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the things which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subjected to them. But his mother kept all their things, these things, in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He noticed that the grace of God was upon him. Given a highly perceptive mind, the development was up to him. And as the case, as is the case of all children, early development and education was the responsibility of the parent. Through divine selection, Joseph and Mary were the proper parents, and as a consequence, accepted the responsibility gladly. Aware of the role that Mary's son would play in the future of the world, every effort would be made to provide the atmosphere in which that development could take place. A copy of the law of God would be available and at his disposal. How else could he have made reference to that law when the Spirit of Christ spake through David and proclaimed, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. It was through the law and the prophets that he was prepared for the mission in life. In the synagogue at Nazareth, he displayed that knowledge by expounding upon a passage from Isaiah. So we can see how the child Jesus developed through the age, through the years of his youth, and was able to take up the role that his father placed upon him when the time came. So we see in him our ideal. We can never hope to parallel that ideal But we know, but who knows just how high up the ladder of success we can go if we really try. We know the depths to which we can sink if we do not try. We know that rock bottom is the limit of our slide downward. 
But we do not know the limits of our ascend upward. And again we turn to the Apostle for words that will give greater dimension to this idea when we turn to the Ephesians In the third chapter, we read these words. Beginning with the 16th verse. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith that ye be enrooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the depth and length length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth understanding that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. In the fourth chapter we read in the 21st, third verse, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The truth that we have and the righteousness and the true holiness that it is capable of imputing must have well-grounded guardians. And we turn to the first chapter of Timothy. And here we read, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith. Grace mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Here we have the Apostle's words to his son in the faith. And his second letter he again addresses him so. And here he says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night greatly des desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears 
that I may be filled with joy. The Apostle is endeavoring to strengthen his beloved son in the faith. And my words, as I said, in directing them to the young brethren tonight, that they might be encouraged to respect and accept their responsibility to their God in carrying on the work of the truth. And we turn again to the words of Timothy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain, abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of a good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. Again, we see the apostle trying to encourage trying to strengthen those whom he knew would fall heir to his mantle once he passed on from the scene. So likewise, we today try to encourage and strengthen the young brethren in our ecclesias, that they too might receive the words of the Apostle Paul to hold fast that form of sound doctrine, that the truth in these latter days, under the pressures and stresses and strains, might not waver but that it might be strong, helping those who need help to carry on. And to you, the young brethren who have stood here at the lectern this week, I feel very thankful that I can commend you for the way you have conducted yourselves from the stand. 
it speaks well for you. First off, your message has been based upon fundamental truths, truths that we have learned, which we have held for so many years. And for us who have moved on up in years, are thankful when we can see evidence of our young brethren in this manner. And we would like to take the opportunity to commend you and to suggest that you endeavor to strengthen your faith and to point out perhaps some of the pitfalls that might occur along the line. And as we have noticed perhaps I don't know how widespread this is, but in many areas, plagiarism is a creeping paralysis among our speakers today. It is much easier to ride along on the coattails of someone else than it is to labor and sometimes agonize over our own ideas. Brother Dave Ramsden from the stand reminded us of what acceptable worship consists of. And my question is, can plagiarism have a place among acceptable worship? If you're not familiar with what the word means, it means the appropriation of ideas and thoughts of another author and representing them as one's original work. So if we must use the words or ideas of others, and we all do, we do not claim originality, and I don't think any speaker can. We have learned from those who went before us. We have gone back to the pioneers of the faith, and there from their work we have formed our foundation. And no speaker since that time, in the truth, can claim Eureka, I have found it. We all must lean upon them. But this I suggest. 
if we must use the words of others to solicit the help of a more mature mind in the expression of an idea. But if the help requires more than a phrase, our sentence or two, let us give credit where credit is due. It makes for a more humble and honest mind. The psalmist David proclaimed, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. And David, by sheer inspiration of God's word, was able to pen some of the most beautiful words ever written. And so it can be with us today. If we develop the mind of Christ, if we go to the Word of God and there look for those beautiful phrases and thoughts that are hidden therein, then we can come forth with ideas that are enlightening and also pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And in the Psalms, we would like to turn a moment for an example of what we mean. In the 73rd Psalm, and this is a very beautiful Psalm, in the 23rd verse, we read, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward would receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For they, for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go pouring from thee. But it is good for me to draw nigh to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare 
all thy works. The prophet Ezekiel was a young man among the captives in Babylon. And the opening of his message gives us a thought. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. So here we find a young man who was devoted to his God and he was shown by the grace of God very beautiful things visions of God we too if we apply our minds to God's Word, we can see visions that will astonish even our imagination. But we must apply ourselves to the study of His Word. Give thyself holy unto them. Our stay here this week at the Bible School has been a process of education. And if we do not regard it as such, we have totally missed the mark. Christ, in his admonition, proclaimed that if a disciple would inculcate into his lives the principles of his teaching, they were not far from the kingdom of God. This is an experience that every individual must experience in his or her own way. It can be a very beautiful experience if we search it out. And as we have been here this week together enjoying the fellowship one of another, we have received much. I can speak from experience. This has been a year of some hectic experiences in my field of occupation. And this week has brought 
a quietness of mind and heart that I have not experienced for a long time. And I feel that it is due to the fact that being able to fellowship with those of like faith and to listen to God's word expounded, I have received strength. And it, was, it is with these thoughts in mind that I again refer my thoughts back to the young brethren. And I hope that what I've had to say has been received in the spirit in which it has been given. I have in no way meant to be critical, rather from the heart I am commending you, our young brethren. You have manifest in your work here this week a very fine spirit. And if the Lord does not return, we would hope to find that spirit among you when we return again. But it is uh, always our prayer that the kingdom of God may come before another year is passed. And I would like to ask each of you a question as I close my remarks tonight. Would you rather, upon leaving the school, journey to your respective homes, or would you prefer to journey to meet the Master? Think about it.